Welcome to Let's Talk About Sarcoma with me, your host, Catherine Mahoney. This podcast is brought to you by Socket to Sarcoma and the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation. In this series, we're going to take a deep dive into symptoms, what to do and to know your rights when you visit your GP or first-line clinician, and finally, the importance of referral to a specialist clinician or team. In today's episode, I chat with GP Michaela Sorensen, sports physician Maren Aldridge, and surgeon Dr. Richard Boyle. Dr. Michaela Sorensen, welcome to Let's Talk About Sarcoma. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on. And we can uh, divulge to the listeners that um, you very kindly agreed to join us during your maternity leave. So we are crossing our fingers that we have we have timed the chat with the baby nap. Yes, definitely. Fingers and toes. When she's 12 weeks old, there's absolutely no Gosh. routine. So we've popped her down, <laughs> I've closed the door and I've put myself in the room furthest away from the nursery. So Brilliant. Brilliant. Quiet. I tell you what, there's nothing like hearing a GP saying at 12 weeks, there's no routine. As, as a, as a mum, I know it was all, am I doing this right? What's going on? Yep. So, so it's great to hear, but how are you traveling? Really well, thank you. Really well. Sleep deprived, but I think every parent knows that feeling, but otherwise Gosh. I'm going really well. Well, you certainly don't look like you have a 12-week-old and thank you again so much for joining us on the pod. Um, My pleasure. When when was sarcoma first brought to your attention as a GP? Was was it in training or uni or, you know, was it when you were on the job? Yeah, look, sarcoma is one of those things that we certainly touched on in medical school, but as you can imagine, there is so much to cover in mm-hmm. a short five-year degree that it probably didn't get the attention it needed. You know, we knew that lumps and bumps and night pain, uh, red flags and sarcoma is a possible cause of that and it's something to look into. But we probably didn't spend, you know, weeks and weeks focusing on it, which it, it really does need to understand it. Um, but I, my attention got brought to it. Yes, on the job, I had unfortunately had a few patients that, um, were diagnosed with sarcoma, whether it be when I was looking after them or prior to me meeting them. But personally, my first experience with sarcoma was actually when I was in second year medical school and it was not through a patient, it was not through my training, but it was actually through my family. So unfortunately, my 16-year-old cousin was diagnosed with sarcoma. Um, it was in March 2008 and unfortunately, nine months later, she lost her battle with it. So it's a really uh, a subject that's really close to my heart, my entire family's heart, and something I have a real passion for. I'm so sorry to to hear that, Michaela. That's um that's really that's a really difficult uh, process to go through losing somebody so close. Um, but you said you were still second year at uni when when that happened to your cousin. Did that then mean that you you listened harder or you really noticed when sarcoma came up in your training? Absolutely. I think that's with any topic. If someone's mm-hmm. been personally touched by it, you develop sort of a special interest and a bit of a passion in that. So I sort of made it one of my life's ambitions to never let a lump or bump go uninvestigated or, or um, slip through the cracks just because if I can, you know, help diagnose something earlier at the outcomes are much, much better. Mm-hmm. And and when you go back to your training, was it lumps and bumps that you were told to look out for? There were a few different red flags, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, so certainly lumps and bumps are one of them, um, and particularly lumps and bumps in unusual areas. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue with sarcoma is it's 
not one classic presentation. You know, there can be lots of different signs and symptoms and these lumps can occur anywhere in the body. And sometimes you also don't see the lumps until sort of the, the very end stage. Um, but certainly unusual lumps and bumps where there's no history of kind of trauma or infection or sickness that could cause, potentially cause a lump. Um, another key feature that we were always told to look out for was night pain. Mm-hmm. So it's very unusual for, you know, general lumps and bumps to cause uh, or, or non-concerning ones to cause night pain. But anything, particularly in children, anything that wakes them up at night, you really do need to stand up and take notice of. So if somebody was listening to this now and they, you know, they've got a child that sort of that has been complaining for, you know, for a couple of days, is it is it something that you would suggest you know, if, if that, that complaint is still happening in a week's time, but go and see your GP, like don't sit on it. Children don't tend to have a lot of continuous pain. Definitely. The first thing first is not to panic because mm-hmm. things like sarcomas are rare. They're mm-hmm. the exception rather than the rule when it comes to lumps or aches and pains. But it is un- you're right, it is unusual for a child to continuously complain about the same thing for several days to a week. So if you do have concerns, I, I Certainly agree. Go in and see your doctor. You, you know, you're not overreacting. You're trusting your gut instinct. Mm-hmm. And the best case scenario is you go in there and they say, hey, it's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. You know, it's fine. We'll just monitor. That doesn't mean you've wasted anyone's time no. at all. It means you've done the right thing. And for me as a doctor, because that's my favorite thing to be able to say is that we don't need to worry about yes. it. But it, they, they, the child needs to be reviewed or, mm-hmm. or the family member needs to be reviewed just to make sure we aren't missing any of those red flags. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is really important. I think for our listeners to hear if something isn't sitting right um, in your gut, either about your own body or, or, you know, or, or your child's then for the sake of making an appointment and maybe taking two hours out of your day or your, your, you know, your child's school day, it's so worth it, isn't it? And that's great to hear from a GP. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's something I say time and time again. No one knows your body like you. Mm-hmm. No one knows your child like you. Mm-hmm. So even if you can't put your finger on it, still trust that gut instinct. It's really, really powerful. And even as a doctor, a lot of the time I'll be sitting there with a patient in front of me and I'll go, I don't know what's going on, but my gut is telling me mm-hmm. there's something. something. And I always listen to that. Um, Michaela, have you ever had a patient um, that, that has come to you and then has a, has a sarcoma? I have. I've unfortunately had a couple. Um, but thankfully, both or the, the two that I'm thinking of are still with us. Wonderful. And are fighting fit and healthy. Um, one in particular that's just had her second child, which um, is very exciting. So, yeah, I have. But thankfully, these ones were picked up early and... Mm-hmm we were able to get them into an appropriate treatment program. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the benefits of living in a capital city like Sydney where there's really great services available. We could get them seen really quickly. They were taken over by a great team of oncologists, surgeons, radiation therapists, mm-hmm. and the ball got rolling really quickly. And that really, really helps their outcomes. And do you mind me asking when you had potentially diagnosed it as sarcoma. How do you progress then? Who do you go to next as a GP? So first things first, we image. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is you send someone off for x-rays, ultrasounds, CT scans, depending on where the issue is, you send them off um, to get the imaging done. 
then once you get that result, which is usually pretty quickly, thankfully um, a lot of the radiologists that are people looking at those images will get straight on the phone if they see anything that's concerning. The moment I get that phone call, we get the, pa- the patient back mm-hmm. um, and we go through it. And during that time, I've usually also contacted um a specialist centre in the hospital. So this is something that does need to be seen quickly, mm-hmm. but dealt with by a specialist. So it's managing sarcoma as a GP that goes a bit above and beyond me. So I get straight on the phone to um, here in Sydney, one of the local oncology units. So usually if it's a child at Sydney Children's Hospital or Westmead. And this is where we're really lucky to be living in Australia and not just in the capital cities, but um, regionally as well, is our public healthcare system is fabulous when it comes to managing these things, you know, they just take the reins and there's a wonderful team of oncologists, the radiation therapists, any surgeons that need doing, but also beyond the medical side of things, the other really important side, which is the team of psychologists and social workers, dietitians, all of those allied health practitioners that are really, really important in supporting the patient, but also their entire family. Because that's one thing, whether it be sarcoma or a different type of tumour or cancer, it doesn't just affect the patient, it's the entire family mm-hmm. and everyone needs to be involved and supported through the treatment as well. So so once you have um, potentially diagnosed a sarcoma, then the patient and the family are given a, a team, aren't they, a specialist team? And, and does that then pretty much leave your sphere and, and off, off, to the, off to the next team? So... The next team will take the reins when it comes to initiating the treatment and managing the treatment. But as a GP, we still have an important role mm-hmm. in the overall health and well-being of the patient. So there are a lot of things to manage when it comes to treatment programs with sarcoma. And one big part of it is managing other health complications that can happen as a side effect of the treatment or, as I mentioned as well, the, the psychological component mm-hmm. as well. And our GPs do play a role in that. And it's important for us to continue to be involved throughout the treatment process because we are the ones that will then continue to look after that patient when they're well. Yes. So yeah. once they get through it, we, we then take the reins back. So it's really important that we know what's gone on mm-hmm. and that we're involved in that as well. Is there a really clear um, communication between everybody when it comes to, to a, a case, a sarcoma case? Because there's a lot of people, aren't there? A lot of pe- You've mentioned a lot of different names there. Yeah, absolutely. And in an ideal world, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate that with the the cases I've had, the communication's been great. Look, unfortunately, sometimes there are breakdowns in communication, but vast majority of the time, we all communicate um, really quickly, really effectively. And that's part of our role as a GP is to ensure that communication is facilitated. So often if patients come back and say, look, I'm not really sure what's going on with this side of things, Mm -hmm. I jump on the phone and I talk directly to that specialist and I talk to other specialists and I make sure we're all kept in the loop, including the patient, Mm because it's really, really important that 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 communication um, is clear and concise and that those lines uh, remain open. I mean, sarcoma is obviously still um, very rare. You know, it isn't something that presents all the time, but but it has has it been something with your peers that you've noticed is is more it sort of talked about than it used to be. I do think there is an increased awareness mm-hmm. around it, and I think a big part of that is the longer we um, practice, the mm-hmm. more cases we see. That's just inevitable. But I also do think, thankfully, through you know podcasts like this, there's more awareness in the general public and mm-hmm. in the, the general population, including us health 
professionals. And so when there's more awareness, we do talk about it more and we do keep our eyes open for it a little bit more. You know, it's something that's at the forefront of our mind rather than tucked way back in the memory bank. Dr. Michaela Sorensen, thank you so much for your time. Um, so one of the main takeaways, I guess, um, for the listener is if if your child or you have ongoing pain or a lump, don't just sort of don't just sort of put it off to the side and don't worry about in inverted commas wasting your time. Come in and see your GP. Absolutely. Trust that gut instinct 100 percent Always back, back yourself. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time and and no baby wakes. No, not yet. No. <laughs> Amazing. We've done really well. I've got my fingers crossed here and I just realised you can't see me. <laughs> no, no. But I always do that on a podcast. No, there's definitely fingers crossed I can see them. But thank you so much again for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Welcome to the pod, Merrin Aldridge. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I've um, I've got to say, uh, just for the people listening, we've I don't think I've ever recorded as uh, sort of in the depths of the the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Is that where we are? We are or yeah, a pylon? We're under the pylon. Wow! Yeah, with just in, the trains going overhead. Yeah, <laughs> we're not outdoors, are we? We're sort of indoors <laughs> in a great space, but the train literally went uh, just went over. So I thought better stop. But Merrin, welcome to Let's Talk About Sarcoma. Thank you for joining us. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. You are a, a sports physio that's had a, a very illustrious career. How long have you been working in this space for? Uh, since 2004. So yeah, about just a bit over 15 years um, I've been a sports physio. So, And you've worked with all sorts of elite people, haven't you? Yeah. And I, normal people yes, like me. the whole range, <laughs> the whole range. Um, uh, yeah, I've worked with Olympians and uh, CEOs and all types now. All yeah. sorts, yeah. all sorts. Wonderful. Um, on, uh, on, obviously we're, we're talking about sarcoma yeah. today. When you did your training, at any point, did you cover sarcoma? Look, yes, you know, we, we did. We often were, um, were taught about the red flags mm-hmm. and, you know, red flags in general. Um, but in particular, we we did, I guess, get some training on um, or education on sarcoma, mm-hmm. um, what to potentially look for. But the issue is that yeah, that that's probably now eighteen years ago mm-hmm. that that was um, taught to me. And yes, I've always tuned into red flags and what to look out for: unexplained pains, night pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sudden severe weight loss, things that can, um, I guess, uh, make us refer to the medical world uh, because we're not physicians. Mm-hmm. We need to know when it's really important to refer on to the medical world. Um, but the problem is we don't come across, in our careers, We it's very rare to come across these, you know, mm-hmm. you know a potential life-threatening disease or or um, cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in 17 years of, of practicing, have you come across sarcoma at all? Uh, twice. Um, the first time being very early on in my career and it was, I wasn't the treating pra- practitioner. Mm-hmm. It was actually uh, one of the senior physios that I guess had to make it aware to all the junior physios that this is something rare, but it does happen. 
Um, it was a, a, a young water polo male. Um, and the second time was actually uh, when I met Cooper and he came to me with a sore shoulder. And looking at his shoulder, um, you know, I guess from the history, you would think it was a cricket injury. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, you know, a young sportsman. So very easy to think he's had a sports injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not suspect sarcoma with him. And I think that's something that I think, you know, happens, probably happens a lot that, you know, you get these injuries that look like sports injuries and, um, it's not. So how did you just have a gut feeling that something wasn't right with Cooper though? Um, it, it was after, it was when he returned on the second visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the first visit, he was, a, he was quiet about his injury. Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult to get out of him when it hurt, how it hurt, if it was getting better from when he first did it or not. So it was quite difficult to, um, you know, young adolescent boys sometimes don't, you know, give you too much. Yes. Yeah. I've got an almost teenager. Yes. I get that. <laughs> and, and also they've come to see you about something, you know, it's sports related. They love sport. They yeah. live for sport. So nobody yeah. really wants to be seeing you in the first place and nobody wants no. to admit there's anything wrong because they no. want to be back out on the field. Yeah. You know, do you think I could just go and do, you know, Saturday's game or so I, I treaded, I was treading carefully. And then when he did come back, I asked him, you know, to come back the following week. Um, and then I started to, you know, you dive into it a little bit more deeply. And, you know, there were some obvious signs. There was some muscle wasting that I didn't think was quite normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was missing something. Mm-hmm. I thought, what is, what's going on here that I'm not getting? It does, it just doesn't add up. Um, you know, to a, you know, typical muscle strain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, adolescent kids who are getting muscle strains, they should be getting better with if they're following the recovery protocol. Mm-hmm. They just should get better. And unless there's a trauma or something, an acute trauma that's happened, uh, you, you wouldn't expect it to just linger. Mm-hmm. And so I think those were a few of the signs that made me want to refer him on quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And how does that process work when you refer someone on? Yeah. Is it to a GP? Is it to a specialist? What What is the process? Look, I think, and that's where my training and working in sport and working in elite sport, um, where, you know, you're really trained to not waste time. You know, you could, if you waste time, it could mean missing a race. It could mean missing the end game. It could mean missing early intervention. And that's my, I guess, my training. It, it's just got me into that kind of headspace of not letting things go mm-hmm. for too long. So when I choose to refer on for a sports injury, um, or something musculoskeletal that just doesn't look quite right, I would, for my point of call was a sports physician. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the, in this instance, I referred to Dr. Dupre, Dr. Etienne Dupre. And I asked for him to be seen quickly. And looking back, um, I, I, I hadn't remembered that part. 
And I think because I was working purely on gut instinct, but mm-hmm. didn't remember, you know, two years later that I actually asked for him to be seen quicker than waiting in the line. Um, so he could get, he could be, um, seen that week. And yeah, so I think there was a big part of me working on gut instinct mm-hmm. here. And I think for those people listening, whether they're a, a parent or whether this is something that happens to them, if, if it feels wrong in your gut, get on with it quickly, isn't it? It's like, yeah. don't, don't worry about wasting a clinician's yeah. time. It's like, just, just get it checked yeah. out. That's right. And I think when Dr. Dupre saw Cooper, he immediately, um, referred him for an, for an MRI. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, Physios can refer for MRIs as well. Um, but at the point where I was seeing him, um, I was unclear what I would be referring him for an MRI for. So I wanted an ex, an expert mm-hmm. level of opinion to know that I was just not unnecessarily sending him for an MRI, that I was getting an expert to look at him, um, make a, a diagnosis and, and then you know, and then he can go re- be referred on again from there. And then, as part of that that process, do you remain um, in the mix? In in when we were seeing Cooper, we did, and I think it was important that mm-hmm. we were, um, you know, and myself and um, my physio partner at the time in the clinic that we were kept um, in the loop because we we could. You know, I guess we could down the line. We actually helped him out with returning to doing some sport. Mm-hmm. We made some splints for him and helped him. You know, I guess on his recovery journal mm-hmm. journey, um, and also to know as well to know the result of what has just been diagnosed mm-hmm. was really important for me because it's obviously. Well, made that, it. That's part of how you treat. Yeah, you treat someone going forward, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, normally, the if you refer to a doctor, you'll be then informed of the result. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've been the referring practitioner, so I got a phone call from Doctor Dupre about um, Cooper's diagnosis, and I was I was in a lot of shock. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't think that I was sending him there to be diagnosed with a psychoma so it was yeah <laughs> well we you know it yeah. was it was a gut feel wasn't it and it was yeah. a, a great one that you followed so quickly yeah it um you know it, you think you know uh, yeah I guess in hindsight um I didn't really I didn't really feel that I was a crucial part of the, the process but Oh, looking at the, think you were, <laughs> yeah. Looking at the, um, looking at the whole picture, um, I realised that you know that other people need to be aware of the, you know, if you're putting being put in front of young kids with sports injuries and pain, you, you do have to have a little bit of knowledge on what what it could what be. What it could be, yeah. Um, is there anything? Is there any advice you'd like to give to to people listening, whether they're a practitioner like yourself, or whether they're a parent, or whether it's themselves that's, that's feeling a little bit unwell? Um, look, I think it's it's number one is to to not wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a week 
of having musculoskeletal pain that's not really explained is is long enough. Mm-hmm. So that's child or yeah. adult? Different in an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, we can all have, you know. Well, we get older, bits, we, we, a bit ache. <laughs> you know, kids do heal. Yes. You know, kids repair. Mm-hmm. And if if something's not looking like it's getting better, there's got to be a reason. And mm-hmm. it might not be a sarcoma, but it might be something else. Yeah. Um, even if it's a psychological reason why someone might be holding on to pain, there is a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, for adults, I think, you, you know, unexplained pains should always be checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and we should get to the bottom of everything. I, I feel. Yes. Um, don't sit on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Merrin, thank you so much for your time. Oh, pleasure. Been I, lovely to yeah. chat. Like to make a point that there were a few trains that went over. Yeah. Was not my stomach grumbling <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> but what a wonderful spot to come and meet you in. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much for, for sharing coming. your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dr. Richard Boyle, welcome to Let's Talk About Sarcoma. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, creating the opportunity, shall we say. Oh, and thank you to the technology that has brought us together, even though we're not together. So welcome to the pod. Lovely to meet you. Likewise. Um, can we start by talking about um, what is sarcoma? Absolutely. So sarcoma is a very rare and tricky cancer that afflicts all different age groups. And although it is extremely rare and many people will not have even heard of the term sarcoma, for the people that it affects, it can be devastating. So not only the patients, but also the family involved as well. Um, The technical term for it is that it has a bimodal distribution, which means that it affects young people and it also affects older people. Um, But having said that, any age group can actually be affected by it. The tumour itself is actually a tumour of bones, connective tissue, muscle, tendons, fatty tissue, those sorts of things, which is very different to carcinoma, which is a cancer of lung, breast, prostate, those sorts of things. So um, the carcinomas are certainly better known and uh, I guess because they are more common, um, quite rightly they receive perhaps more interest uh, in the public realm. But in many ways, sarcomas, as I say earlier, are a bit more devastating, a bit more problematic, not only because they are rare but because their treatment is much more difficult as well. Um, The uh, treatments that patients have to go through, including the young kids, uh, is very complex and, uh, um, you know, any, any form of chemotherapy obviously is horrible, but to have to go through that as a, as a kid is, is terrible and to watch a kid go through that sort of treatment is terrible as well. Um, but the other thing about it is that the way that it is discovered uh, is perhaps more difficult as well from a screening perspective. You may well have heard of... Um, breast cancer screening programs and colorectal screening programs and so on and so forth, prostate, where the carcinomas are coming from glandular tissues that actually produce substances that can be picked up in blood, whereas sarcomas that are bony growths or cartilage growths or whatever it is don't actually produce anything that can be picked up in the bloodstream. So 
the way it presents is usually with pain or a lump or something like that. Um, and it's not as though we can predict who is going to get it or we can run some form of screening program to find out in the population who is at risk of, uh, of having a sarcoma. Um, I've covered a lot of things there, I'm sorry, in the one question. <laughs> no, that's good. We've gone through a few of my questions. How long have you been working in the sarcoma space, Richard? So I first came back from my fellowship in 2008, mm-hmm. um, but I'd uh, worked uh, in the sphere after orthopedic training uh, back in uh, 2006, 2007 as well. So I guess I've, I've had a real interest in um, oncology and also orthopedics, um, essentially all of my medical tra- through all of my medical training and medical life. And so I was um, somewhat fortunate to be able to combine uh, my two real interests, um, you know, the challenge of oncology and the unanswered questions there, uh, along with the... Uh, the pure practicality and the uh, technical uh, and, um, you know, I guess, you know, uh, modern techniques of uh, orthopedics um, are well combined in this speciality. So uh, I love it and uh, it's a perfect blend. So you said before it's, it is a rare form of cancer and a lot of people won't have heard of sarcoma until they need to hear about sarcoma. How, how prevalent is it? Uh, so there's, I guess, a few ways to describe it. I mean, you could say it's a one in a million type cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to bring it back to uh, exposure in the medical sphere, um, the expectation is that a general practitioner might only ever see one in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, an orthopedic specialist might only ever see one in perhaps every two or three years of their career. Um, so it's very rare even in the medical fraternity, um, let alone out in the uh, the public sphere. But having said that, it's actually the second most common cancer in the paediatric population. Wow. So if you work in paediatrics and that is your area of expertise, then you are more likely to come across uh, a child with sarcoma. Now, you said before it's it's not, you know, it doesn't show up as other cancers do and it's not screened for it, you know, as other cancers are. Um, it can present, can't it, as a lump or, a, or an ache. Um, so what should people do if they notice that? And whether that's, there's a few questions here, so, just, so hang on a sec. And, and, yeah. and tell me, obviously, if it's a parent listening to this and it's a child that's got pain, you know, like what? How long is too long before you're going, you know what, let's go to the doctor, let's go and get this seen? Yeah, sure. So you can use the expression expression red flags. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the classic red flags is pain that persists at rest. So pain that wakes them up at night Mm -hmm. or pain that seems to be worse. They seem to be able to have a game of footy and come home and uh, have the evening meal. And then when it comes around to bedtime, they start to say, oh, look, you know, that that leg's aching again or my Mm -hmm. knee's aching or I've got this vague pain in the pelvis, you know. Uh, It's it's a, a strange sort of persistent ache that uh, that isn't going away and it's different to pain from an injury you know I mean every second kid will you know crash their bike or fall over at school or mm-hmm. you know play footy and get tackled uh, and that is the sort of acute pain that will then ease and go away over a period of time 
whereas this is persistent. So if it seems to be persisting, then yes, seek medical attention. Uh, and I guess also you need to perhaps be specific in giving of the history to the doctor so that then the doctor is not dismissive of it as just a bump playing footy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, but it's it's difficult, you know. I mean, being something so so rare, uh, you know, the the GP will see a uh, hundred boys with a corked thigh before they see, uh, you know, the sarcoma. Absolutely, I mean that, and that's that's sort of a, your advice for a parent with a child. But as an adult, you know, we 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 have aches and pains, and that's just kind of called getting old, isn't it? But but how yeah. long should somebody yeah. who is older wait before they go? Actually, you know, that's been around for a while. Yeah, so there. I mean, I guess I'd be I'd hesitate to put a time limit on it because mm-hmm. it could be, you know, depending on the severity of it. But uh, it's such a simple thing to go and have an X-ray done. You know, visit the doctor and say, "Oh, look, I wouldn't mind just getting an X-ray. Would that be okay?" X-ray is very simple. Uh, and then obviously the level above that is to get an MRI scan. But, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that everyone with an achy something or other goes mm-hmm. and gets an MRI scan as well. You know, you have to screen it somewhat. And tell me, um, why should a suspected sarcoma be referred to a specialist clinician? What you know, what why is it that sort of process? Yeah, so that that is an important question. So the the, the reason is that mistakes can be made in the management of sarcoma, uh, such as people sticking needles into things or taking out lumps that uh, should be done in a particular way, uh, whereas uh, it may well have been more appropriately investigated with further what's called staging scans. And mm-hmm. so one of the, um, uh, the, the great advances in modern sarcoma management has been staging with the use of a PET scan or a PET scan, um, which is a scan that looks for the activity in the cells and also it can assess for other parts of the body for metastatic disease or spread, um, but also the advent of MRI scanning as well so that we know anatomically where the tumour sits. And so as a surgeon, it's very important for me to know that I'm going to be able to remove all of the tumour itself, but also any of the tissues that may well have come into contact with it, such as at the time of someone having done a biopsy. Uh, so it's very important that at least advice is sought from a specialist centre, if not referred straight through to the specialist centre. Um, and look, you know, it's it's not because we're, we're better than other doctors mm-hmm. or better surgeons or anything like that. It's purely through experience and also the fact that we have access to PET scans and access to MRI scans. Uh, and I can make a quick phone call to the head of the PET scanning department and say, oh, yeah, g'day, Mike, would you mind if we squeeze this one in tomorrow because it's very important? And the answer will be yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if someone random rings up, then obviously they don't have that same relationship. Absolutely. Um, perhaps. Well, I suspect the answer would still be yes. Um, but it's, it's also, so not only is it that access to investigation, but then it's also the knowledge of how to then perform biopsies and then the next level above that is the pathologists that then look at the tissue are also experts in the field because, mm-hmm. again, it's very, very subspecialized and there are only a handful of pathologists in Sydney that we would trust to have a look at the sarcoma um, pathology that comes through. So the histopathology I'm talking about under the microscope um, 
And that's the purpose of our MDT, which we run every Friday, where we all sit around the table and we then look at the histopathology and the imaging with the expert radiologists and all put our heads together and come up with a diagnosis. And even in that setting, sometimes there are tumours that will come up that I personally have never heard of. The, mm-hmm. the pathologist will say, this is a, a rare XYZ tumour. And then around the table, another person may well have read about it or heard about it or treated one of them. Uh, and then the benefit then flows back to the patient because you've uh, immediately had, you know, for want of a better term, uh, five second opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you've, you've been given the best of opinion and then you will then have the best of the treatment that is available. Um, and then not to blow our own trumpets, but uh, many of the people sitting around that table are actually internationally renowned. Mm-hmm. So if you compare our unit to and any of the units in Australia, to be honest, uh, any of the MDTs in Australia could certainly hold their heads up high at any international meeting, uh, and that is indeed what happens. And we all do, or used to, present around the world and mm-hmm. uh, you know interact with the sarcoma community internationally um, because it's a small community. Many of us know many people around the world, and that's also a good thing. Mm-hmm. Reassuring to know we've got a great team around Australia. Um, yeah. So, Richard, in a perfect world, how would the referral process look? So, uh, I think if I was to give an example of a boy that I've just done a biopsy on today, Mm -hmm. um, he was referred through to an imaging practice for some imaging because of some pain in in his pelvis when he was kicking a footy Mm -hmm. or a soccer ball. Um, And... At that radiology practice, the radiologist was a bit concerned and so rang me directly and said, look, I'm a bit concerned about this imaging. Would you mind if I also organized for a CT scan on top of the MRI scan or an MRI on top of the X-ray? And immediately I am then aware that there is a patient who we may well need to organize for something to happen. So that phone call occurred last Thursday. We then discussed the imaging at our meeting on Friday. A PET scan was arranged to be performed on Monday, and then we performed the biopsy today, Tuesday. So in an ideal world, every single sarcoma patient should be able to be investigated and biopsied within the space of a week. Mm -hmm. And that's key, isn't it? That's key. The sooner, the sooner it yes. sort of, um, the sooner it all gets started, the better, isn't it? Don't Absolutely. wait. Yep, yep, that's right. And look, you know, if it's one week, two weeks, three weeks, I don't think in reality that would make a big difference. But certainly, pushing it out to months mm-hmm. uh, can really be, um, you know, the difference between having an isolated lesion or having a lesion that has spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, look, I apologise. I'm using different terminologies here. I'm using the term lesion and tumour and lump and cancer and sarcoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all sort of interchangeable. Okay, well, that's good to that's good to clarify. Can I ask um, why haven't mortality rates changed for sarcoma patients for the past forty years? Yeah, so this is a difficulty. So going back to, I guess, you know, part of what I was saying in the first answer. Mm-hmm. Because they are from different cell lineages, often the 
targetable cells within those lineages are multiple. So, for example, someone with a breast cancer that carries a number of markers, so you may well have heard of estrogen markers or Herceptin markers Mm -hmm. on a particular breast cancer, that means that can be targetable and therefore treated with specific chemotherapy. The problem with sarcomas is that there may well be a hundred different targets on the cell. And we might have one or two, but we aren't able to kill off all of those cells with one particular chemotherapy type. And so, uh, realistically, the best of the chemotherapy options that we have had now for that last 20 or 30 years or so has been very broad, horrible, make you sick, hair falling out type mm-hmm. chemotherapy. It has to be very broad because of that yeah. fact that the cells are also very different within even the one tumor itself. Uh, now, we are getting better at discovering new targetable therapy, uh, uh, targetable um, uh, or targets on the cells, if you like, within the sarcomas. Uh, and I think that's going to be the next advance in sarcoma treatment. And that's really, really exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, you are right. In reality, we have not really had great advances in the last 20, 30 years in terms of um, uh, mortality and outcomes. Uh, and that comes down to that fact, you know, mm-hmm. that we may well be able to uh, kill off perhaps 90% of the cells in one particular tumor, but that 10% is the 10% that lives on and then eventually will spread and eventually, you know, will take the lives of these you know, poor young kids. Mm-hmm. Just a couple more questions because I know you've been at it all day today. No, um, that's all right. How, how can sarcoma make important inroads like other cancers that have benefited from personalised therapeutics? Yeah, so I think that's where it is going to come. So things like uh, genetic testing of the actual tumours themselves so that then it may well be that a gene pops up within a particular tumour that is associated either with another tumour type or even another um, another disease. Um, you may well have heard of one of the exciting new uh, therapies is looking at a treatment that was originally in, um, created for psoriasis uh, that they are hoping may well have some crossover now in sarcoma management. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Wow. Um, you know, there's some crossover with some of the um, you know one of the one of the other medications that was used more in a benign uh, tumor setting, one called uh, uh, denosumab, has uh, now been crossed over now to be used in um, breast cancer metastases and other bony tumors um, that uh, was not predictable you know, when it was first put onto the market as well. So there's, there's all sorts of areas like that where there will be crossover, I would hope, and that's where supporting research into sarcoma but also research into all you know, cancer treatments uh, you know, really is um, you know, so, so vitally important. Mm-hmm. And and look, just to finish, what does the future look like for sarcoma patients? Well, I think you know the future is. Uh, I, I'm thinking optimistic, or optimistically. I think the future uh, is uh, full of hope. Um, so, if you look at all of the areas of sarcoma management, so um, radiation oncology. Uh, has become more specific and more targetable and so therefore the long-term and the side effects and the effects on surrounding tissues uh, has been reduced. Uh, from a medical oncology perspective, as I've mentioned there, there are 
hopefully newer treatments on the horizon um, and, you know, modern chemotherapy, targetable therapies, you know, targetable treatments. That's really exciting and the genetics of it. And then in surgery, uh, we are becoming more and more uh, bespoke, shall we say, and uh, we are now using uh, things like 3D printing and patient-specific guides and uh, patient-specific implants. Um, and that's a real advance as well in that uh, uh, we are able to now operate on some lesions that we would never have operated on you know, even as soon as 10 years ago. Wow. So. Although we haven't really made advances in terms of mortality, yes, uh, you know that is you know one of those really jarring statistics. I think overall management has improved. Um, recognition of adolescent and young adults as a, a unique population group as well. Mm-hmm. Um, social supports for that group, social supports for families as well. So that uh, ideally, you know, and returning back to my question, you know, how, how can I see that or how would I envisage an improvement in sarcoma care? Um, those patients that uh, perhaps aren't lucky enough to live, you know, two kilometres down the road from uh, a centre like uh, RPA uh, should still be able to access us and access the imaging and access the treatment uh, that... Uh, you know, any child or any patient, you know, I'm, and I've kept on mentioning children, but you know, any patient right through to, uh, you know, the uh, the most elderly, and uh, you know, everyone's important. Mm-hmm. We've got to treat everyone, and uh, you know, my ideal is that yes, uh, we'll be able to give that access to everyone. So, you know, programs such as yours is is fantastic. You know, just getting the word out there, um, giving sarcoma a voice. Uh, Yes, it's extremely rare and perhaps your listeners may well not ever have heard of it or may well never come across it. But through supporting research into sarcoma or supporting patients with sarcoma, you know, in whatever means, may well actually benefit through other areas as well, you know, other areas of medicine. Uh, there's lots of crossover now, as I mentioned. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's Thanks fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Sarcoma. For more information, please visit the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation at www.crbf.org.au and Socket to Sarcoma at www.sockettosarcoma.org.au.